hear me? That's probably good. I'll grab the mic. <laughs> Everything okay? Can you hear me? Can everyone hear me? Is it on? Good. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Just uh, a quick word of introduction. Um, I'm a retired Army enlisted guy, um, and I visited this church several times throughout my career. Uh, being in Intel, Army Intel, I was, you know, in and out of the, the, the center of gravity for all Intel people, I guess. Uh, but this was the church that I chose, and uh, through the years, so you know how it is, you go away for a few years, you come back, and you see how things have changed, and you go away again and come back. So anyway, um, I did retire a little over two years ago, and I took a job down in South America, and I was definitely in a very isolated situation. Couldn't go to church, couldn't leave. I worked where I slept, and you know what I mean? It was just one of those things. And so I... <laughs> It's a little awkward standing in front of people after you've been dealing, you know, talking with yourself day and night kind of thing. So it's okay. But anyway, uh, it's good to be back. Um, I do always, always enjoy preparing a message. Um, and I didn't bring a lot of messages while I was here at the church uh, as an elder, but uh, I always enjoyed that opportunity to do that. It's always a blessing for me. It may not bless you, <laughs> but it was a blessing to me to work through the Word of God. I would like to talk to you this morning about the Word of God itself. I believe, and I don't think you have to, to look very hard to realize that if we are failing as a church, it's certainly due to ignorance of the Word of God. What a shame. I mean, if I said to go to a certain book of the Bible, we typically, you know what I mean, you can't even find it, Not, you know, let alone what does it say and, and what's God saying to me through that, that work, through His Word. And so, and, and I say this to myself as well. Um, so, I guess, if anything, this message is just, just to draw our attention this morning to the importance of the Word of God. And so, I'll have you turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I'm just going to kind of breeze through several passages and take a look at the Word of God and the importance of it. Now, I don't know if you know it, but Genesis did not exist at the time of the Exodus. Doesn't that sound crazy? It's like, wait a minute, the Exodus? That was Moses leaving Egypt. Well, where's Genesis? Well, Moses hadn't written it yet, right? So they didn't have it. Um, so anyway, this was written after the Exodus, during, during the time, at least after the Exodus and before the children of Israel entered the Promised Land. As we know, Moses did not enter. And so... This word of God that's, that we see here, I think Moses knew a lot more about the word of God as he was writing this. You know, this was down the line. This is after Egypt and after uh, the parting of the Red Sea. And oh my goodness, if you've never gone through Exodus chapters 19 through 35, it's a fun study to count how many times Moses went up and down the mountain to receive the word of God. It's not once. You know, I think I guess we get Hollywood in our minds and we get get this thinking that, uh, you know, he is a one time thing. He came with his tablets, you know, um, but no, many times, several times. And what struck me as I was studying this uh, in Exodus recently is how many times the people of God said, yes, we will do every word that God speaks. We agree. We will keep it all. We'll do everything. And so you certainly after studying through those chapters, you realize that uh, you realize how, how upset God should be and could be anyway. So let's look at this, uh, look at this chapter 
the first thing that we're confronted with here in Genesis chapter 1, I would say, is probably the most explosive, most powerful display of energy that we could even think of. How much energy does it take to frame the world, you know, the universe that we live in, just this planet alone? I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about the power, the potential, just in this big old ball of mud flying through space, right? And to think about timing and stars, if you look at the universe, it is, we, we can't even see the end of it yet, if you don't know that. We, 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 with all of our power and science, we have not even seen the back end of the thing yet. And so to lay hold of this and actually believe it, I think we have to understand, first of all, you, I don't think we can get a bigger display of power. And so let's just peruse through. I want you to see a few verses, actually just a few phrases. In, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And God said, skip down to 6, And God said, down to 9, And God said, over to 14, And God said, and guess what we see in 20? And God said, 24, And God said, and it's going to keep going, 26, And God said, 28, and God said, 29, and God said, I think there's something to the Word of God. There's something important here. If there's only 31 verses, and the Holy Spirit felt fit that it was proper to mention, and God said 10 times, almost one-third of the verses contain that phrase. And so right away, chapter 1, book 1 of the Word of God, we come to terms with a concept. And it's the Word of God. And for you and me, as, as human beings, when I say something, it sure doesn't mean much, right? Why? Because I don't have the power to do too much about it. Uh, I don't have a lot that I can do. And with God, that is not the case at all. And I think we need to realize what God wants us to see here in this passage is that there's nothing too difficult for Him. He speaks His Word. In fact, when He generates this power and releases this power, He speaks. That's part of the process. And that's strange to us. It really is. And I think that we need to lay down the principle that nothing that we trust God for is too hard for Him to do. Many times in this passage you'll read, and God said... And then he does it, right? He has the power to perform it. And so the power, does God have the power to do something? Well, you know what? As a believer, you should be trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Does he have the power to save me? I think so. I don't think power should be an issue. Power shouldn't be a question. And so I, I love this passage, and I don't know how many times I've read it, but there, there certainly is an important point here. There's something we need to catch. The Word of God speaking is how He acts, how He does things. He speaks it first. God is not only the great Creator, but I believe He's the great Communicator. We certainly could, could draw that just from this passage. So, I mean, if I were going to tell you what I did, I'd probably say I did this first, and then I did that second, and I did this third, and so on. God says, and God said, and it was done. And God said. So, it's good to see... Here in Genesis chapter 1, with all of this display of power, that God's Word is tied to that process. I 
Okay, let's just move over to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to see in the person of Jesus Christ that the Word of God, His words, were powerful. Um, so, I guess if we had presuppositions for Genesis, we'd have to say there is a God, and this is His Word, right? So, back where we just came from at the very beginning. So, you already have to believe there is a God, and that, that He's writing that, because there's nobody around that's going to, you know, I mean, He was creating, man wasn't there yet. So, that was the presupposition there. Here in Matthew, it's interesting we need to suppose that Jesus is God. And that's a big step for a lot of people. Uh, but I think John chapter 1 is my, I mean, to me, it hands down. We'll look at that a little bit later, but Jesus is the Son of God. And so some of these miracles, John calls them signs, but some of these miracles are, are given to us that we might see the Word of God is powerful. And Jesus is God. So let's look at something. In Matthew chapter 8, I just chose this one chapter because we see so many miracles here. Uh, the first one, the first miracle that we see is this leper is cleansed. Right, so a leper is cleansed. Uh, so Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Do you know why they're following him? Because he just fed them. <laughs> that's a big deal. Many of these people probably had never filled their stomachs in their lives, and they had all they could eat, maybe for the first time in their life. And so, of course, there are a lot of people following Jesus, um, but we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later as well. So that's, that's at least why they're following him here. Um, but it says in verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And so we see two things here. If you don't know much about leprosy, um, that's obviously the curse of leprosy. Is It starts small, but it gets worse, and it does spread. And so you have to leave your family if you have one. And the issue is you will never touch your wife. You'll never touch your kids again. I mean, that's that's just leprosy. And so touching is, is obviously what you cannot do anymore. And the fact that Jesus reached out and touched him means something, especially to that leper. But he did speak as well, and the leprosy left him. So I just draw your attention to the words that caused this to happen. The centurion is the next healing we see here, starting in verse 5. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And so he asked Jesus to heal him. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And look at what it says. And it says, um, so he finishes up and it says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Isn't that interesting? That he said he, he marveled. So this centurion knows something and sees something that caused Jesus to marvel. And he says, wow, I wish I could get everybody to understand this concept. You know, Jesus said, I have the authority. I have the power to heal your servant from here. I just speak the word and, and it will happen. And that's just exactly what happened. So the power of the word of God. Uh, there are other miracles here. We see uh, demon possession. And it says in verse 16, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. Right. 
Uh, let's just skip down to verse 23. I think it's a slightly different subject. Now, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, and the boat was covered with waves. He was asleep. And then his disciples came to him and awoke him and said, or saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and they were calm. <laughs> that must have been wonderful. It must have been amazing to be in a boat with this person. I mean, he looked like a man, right? The Son of God that could speak to a storm, you know, and it would just stop. Uh, I wonder how that would make you feel. I suppose probably not much different than walking on water or some of the other things that he did. But it's amazing the power of the Word of God that we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Obviously, there are many places we could go throughout the Gospels uh, and see this. So the power of the Word of God is obviously a real thing. I think maybe the most impressive display of power through speech is the story of Lazarus. That's, that's pretty impressive. In John chapter 11, if you do want to turn there, that's where the story takes place. John chapter 11 tells us that Lazarus died. And Jesus knew he was dying. And Jesus purposefully did not go to see Lazarus. He was friends with that family, Lazarus, Mary, Martha. And he had... had obviously met them before, but he chooses not to go to Lazarus as he's dying. And so, of course, the disciples are confused, as they often are, and they're ready finally when Jesus gets ready to go. Uh, so John chapter 11, verse 14, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. And so he shows up. And there's a big dialogue, of course, with the sisters. Can you imagine being the sisters, Mary and Martha, knowing Jesus could make their sick brother well, but he doesn't show up. You know, He does not show up. And so this is a tough time, right? A, a very emotional time for them. And so they both come out to him and talk to him. One of the greatest principles, I think, in Scripture uh, that Jesus brings out about himself is where he says that he is the resurrection and the life. And that's one of the passages uh, that comes out, one of the concepts that comes out here, that I am the resurrection and the life. Um, okay, so let me look at my notes here. I'm trying to paraphrase so we can keep moving along. The concept here is that uh, Jesus said, if you believe in me, though you are dead, yet shall you live. That's like, wait a minute, that's crazy. <laughs> What do you mean I'm going to live if I'm dead? But he says, that's just the way it works. That's the power that I have. I mean, I am life, and I will raise you. I have the power to do that. And so uh, we know that eventually Jesus goes to the tomb, and he calls Lazarus forth. I think he had been in the grave four days. He was one ripe fella, right, after four days of being in that tomb. And his sister said, probably he's, he stinks by now, right? He stinketh. And however, Jesus was able, he, with, with his word, he was able to pull him back from uh, four days after death. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how, how you could see that, how you could witness that and ever be the same again. It's one of those things. 
And did you know that the Jews plotted to assassinate Lazarus because he was that powerful of a witness that Jesus was the Son of God? We see that in the next chapter. They had planned to assassinate Lazarus. Can you imagine poor Lazarus? The guy gets sick. Jesus doesn't come and help him. He's dead. And now the Jews are plotting to assassinate me because, because I wasn't dead, because Jesus rose me from the grave. All right. So the power of God. Enough said, I think. Uh, it's pretty obvious that God has the power behind his words. One of the neat things about the word of God is that we see his character. As you study the word of God, his character will come out. If you have never never studied or don't know that it exists, in Exodus 34, verses 5, 6, and 7, we have God Almighty introducing himself to Moses. So if you don't know those verses, I mean, I can't think of a more obvious place to begin. See, Moses was in a tough spot. Israel was in a tough spot. And Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with us, count me out. I'm not going either. So that was how bad things were at this point for the children of Israel. And Moses said, I need to know you. If I'm going to represent you, I need to know you. And God said, all right. All right, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. You might know that song, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by you. But then he says, the Lord, the Lord God, and he goes through this list. It's not very long. It's just a sentence or two. And he defines himself. I mean, that'd be hard to do, right? If he had to tell someone, maybe a boss, uh, what are your traits? What are your character traits? In one sentence, go. Oh, that's kind of weird, right? First of all, because you're harping on yourself. But God explained. God introduces himself. And there's some wonderful things there. And if you study the word of God, one of the things in the list, he says he's merciful, he's gracious. Those are awesome things, right? I need both of those. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Gracious. But he says, not only that, after that, he says, I abound in. So the first two things, he just has mercy and grace. But he says, I abound in goodness and truth. Those two things, I abound in goodness. And in Genesis, no matter what we've read today, what's the end result of the power of God and the word of God? It's some kind of goodness, typically, right? The earth, this universe, was built for man. It was built for us. And I think that when you study the word of God, you certainly see the character of God coming out. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is a good verse to memorize for kids. I think I did when I was a kid. Um, and it talks about the Word of God being alive and being powerful. Okay, so let's move on to the persistence. I don't know, it's kind of a, it's a P word, so I guess I came up with persistence. But what am I talking about? Isaiah 55, 11 is another very common verse. Isaiah 55 is a great chapter on the Word of God. And it does compare the word of God to rain or snow. And Isaiah is talking here. He says, uh, just as the rains come from heaven, the snow comes from heaven. It doesn't go back up to heaven in the sense that I have a purpose for it. I send it on the earth. I designed it that way. I, maybe I should say redesigned it that way. So it will, it will perform a purpose. Isaiah 55, let's start with verse 6. 
he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So this is God's word here. God is saying, For my thoughts, in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper the thing in which I sent it. When we see the word of God being proclaimed and find that it is not fulfilled yet, don't give up on it. God's not finished. And Jesus points out that he says not one jot, not one tittle of the law will pass before earth goes away. It's all going to be fulfilled. So if we can find unfulfilled scripture, it's yet to be fulfilled because it's the word of God. It does not return empty. And that made me think of a boomerang. I mean, I've never, well, maybe I did use a couple as a kid, but... Uh, when you throw out a boomerang, right, it comes back empty if you miss, hopefully, if you do it right, I guess, anyway, it comes back to you empty. Well, I don't think that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, I call them divine boomerangs. You're like, ah, oh, God missed me on that one, but watch out. It's, it's not over yet. I mean, his word is still persistent, and his word will accomplish the task that it was set out to do. Uh, I love scripture. A lot of times you'll see things that shouldn't be, right? Like, I don't know, God speaking to Abraham, saying, Abraham, um, you're, you're going to have a son. You will have a son. But listen, your descendants are going to go and be slaves for about 400 years. After that, I'll bring them out of Egypt. And not only that, they're going to come out of Egypt with riches. They're gonna, but they will get out of there. And so at the time that God has planned for for a boy, baby Moses, to be born, we see that obviously, I think Satan knows this plan too, right? Satan overheard that conversation. Satan got the timeline as well. He said, okay, so I need to be on guard. I need to be ready 400 years after they enter this country because God says he's going to take them out of there. Yeah, not if I can help it, right? And so obviously Pharaoh tells all the midwives to kill those baby boys. When you deliver those Hebrew children, kill them. But they didn't do it, right? So when that failed, he tells all people to kill the baby boys. And so that's the environment that Moses is born into. A very unlikely environment for a young Hebrew child to be raised in that environment. And yet there goes Moses floating down the river, <laughs> heading to Pharaoh's palace to fulfill his destiny. And I love the word of God. Okay, so persistence of the Word of God. No matter what God has said, He has the power to do it. He will perform it. Perform it. And really, that's, that's the foundation of our salvation, isn't it? Uh, I, don't, I don't get saved and then keep myself saved. I don't work to a point where I'm good enough to be saved. You know, God says, I have a gift for you. And it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about dealing with your sin. And if you'll have that, 
then we can do business. Okay, so the persistence of the Word of God. Let me look at uh, one more example, anyway, about Abraham. Abraham was told when he was 75, we all know, that he would have a son. And how old was he when he had that son? <laughs> 100. <laughs> he was 100, and poor Sarah. It says very clearly, Sarah was beyond childbearing years. Can you imagine that? God appears to you, right, in your home country, Many miles away, many years ago, God appears to you and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be the father of this great nation. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And this guy is 100 years old, and he's still holding on to that promise. Can you imagine dealing with that, that shame? Dealing, I mean, when you meet people, what's your name? I'm the father of, of a great nation. Okay, how many kids you got? Zero. How old are you? <laughs> and he's dealing with that every day of his life. But, you know, Hebrews tells us, uh, and, and other places, we learned that um, by faith, Abraham did certain things. But the big thing is that his faith was credited as righteousness because Abraham didn't let that go. He said, this is God. He can do whatever he wants to do. And he didn't let that go. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now, is faith righteousness? No, it's not. Faith is just, I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. You're going to do what you said. Righteousness is doing all the right things, but God says, I'll take your faith and equate that to righteousness. That's a wonderful thing. What a great God we serve. And so Abraham doesn't let go and he holds on to that. So that's just one more example of just because God said something and it didn't happen right away, Jesus points out several times, don't you worry, it will happen. It's going to come to pass. You can't escape that. And so that's how we need to be as people. If there's something that hasn't come to pass yet, God has promised, let's hold on to it. Okay, the person of the Word of God, I think we would be in error to not discuss the, the fact that Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. In John chapter 1, uh, I love the Gospel of John. It's so simple. It's so, I don't know, it's a great book to start with. If you have never read it in the Bible too much and you want to start somewhere, it seems like people would often suggest the Gospel of John. But John chapter 1 starts off the same way that Genesis does, in the beginning. So I would imagine John turned, you know, turned some heads when someone started reading his Gospel for the first time. Hey, this sounds familiar, if they were Jewish, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And so we have to go back to Genesis and, and figure how was Jesus Christ involved in creation. And Colossians tells us the same thing, doesn't it? Um, that he is the creator. So I don't know how it worked. I don't know if God said, let there be light, and Jesus went to work. You know what I mean? I'm not sure. But he was there and says everything that was made. Jesus made it. Um, okay, so the person of the Word of God. Jesus Christ, if He is the Son of God, like John is telling us here, we can't find a better teacher, right? Because we don't know God. We can't approach God. We're people. Well, now we have God the Son leaving and coming to us, becoming a man, humbling Himself, so that He could say things like, 
I am the door. And I go, oh, okay, I'm not too smart, but I know what a door is. And so suddenly I can start to understand how this works. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Okay, I can start, I can relate to what you're saying. And so that's the, to me, the, the, the power of what Jesus presents to us is that he knows God and he's going to clearly show God to us. So the person of the word of God is very important. As we get to know God, we need to carefully listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Often through his ministry, he mentioned the fact that his, the words that he was speaking were not his own. They were the words that God gave him. It's like God gave him a script. Here's what you need to tell them. I want, I want you to specifically tell them this. And so the person of the word of Jesus Christ, he is the word of God. All right. So many verses, so little time. One of the interesting things about the Word of God that Jesus brings out, let's just turn to John 14, 24. I want you to see this this morning. Four. Well, let me start with 23. John 14, 23. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Isn't that interesting that here, obedience is what equals love. Jesus said, if you love me, I mean, you're saying you love me. If you're a Christian, you might say, I love Jesus, but are you obedient to his word? And that's what Jesus is saying. You can say whatever you want, but if you're not obeying, then that's not love. I don't know what it is, but it's sure not love. Jesus also said, he said, my sheep hear my voice, didn't he? They know me. I know them. And as sheep, as believers, we need to stay close to the Lord Jesus. As we all know that it doesn't take long to get away from the Word of God, and we start going back to what's natural, and before you know it, we're in a mess. Right, And the good shepherd has to come after us again. And that's the way it is. So let's stay close to the Lord Jesus. His words are life. He said, my words are life. They're spirit and they're life. So what are some of the problems that people have? What are some of the problems we have with understanding the Word of God? I think that's a wonderful question. I mean, it seems obvious. Uh, just, just study the Word of God. Just do what it says and you're good to go. Right? Well, you know what? It's not that easy. There are issues that we run into. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, I'd like to say this is the last passage, but we're getting there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 brings up a wonderful point that if we don't factor into understanding the Word of God, we're going to have some problems. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just two verses, 13 and 14. So Paul is speaking here. He says, These things we also speak, not in words which, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now get this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 
And so the Word of God here is assumed to be spiritual truth. And Paul says, the natural man is spiritually dead. That's who we all are before we, before we come to peace with God, before He fixes us. We are all spiritually dead. Physically alive, spiritually dead. Disconnected from God. And in that condition, Paul says, we can't even understand it. I mean, like, it's not possible. Not, oh, I, I can't, I just don't get it. Like, it's not real clear. I think I got it. I'm close. No, no, no. He says, you're dead. You don't get it. And so that should be, like, if you're going to teach the, how to study the Word of God, I think in everybody's book, it should be rule number one, right? If you're not a believer, it's going to be foolishness, gibberish, garbage. It doesn't make any sense. And God doesn't have a problem helping us to understand that. It's laid out right there. And why do you think Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes with all these questions, what about this, what about that? And he says, hold on, you need to be born again. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Jesus said, you're not even alive spiritually. You're not going to get these things. Don't waste your time. I'm not going to waste my time talking to you. You're not going to get it until you experience something that God has for you. It says only the Holy Spirit gives life. There was a lot of confusion. I think Barney brought up this point last week. He was Jesus had followers that were following him because he fed them. And so he gives them this teaching. He says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you got no part with me. And of course, man, you can't imagine how fast that was driving people away, right? And the disciples are struggling with this. And Jesus says, all right, look. The flesh profits nothing. This isn't about my body. It's not about my blood. There's a spiritual message here. And unless the Spirit gives you life, you're not going to get it. And so that's, that's, that's just the point, a quick point that I wanted to make. That should always be number one. If you're studying the Word of God or you're trying to study the Word of God, and it's always been gibberish, that's one possibility. You've never dealt with this fact. The fact that you are spiritually dead. And God needs to give you life. And so, if I'm going to speak with someone that is not a believer, should I pour out great revelation truths or should I dig deep into something else? Don't waste your time. Focus on the Gospel. Isn't that what Paul did? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, he said, because it's the power of God. That's where all conversation has to begin for an unbeliever. You have to deal with Jesus Christ. That's all God, God has you shut in, if you're an unbeliever, to that one concept. And Paul lays that out. What is the gospel? That's kind of vague. No, it isn't. He says it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. Well, that's pretty negative. That's the way it is. That's pretty narrow. What if I want to do good works and, you know, go? No, Jesus said, I'm the only way. I'm it. And so that should be step number one. If you haven't done that, the Word of God isn't going to make sense. And you are wasting your time, just exactly what you're finding. There are other issues that we can run into. There are other reasons why we can't understand the Word of God. Um, but I think I'll stop there. That's, that's, where, that's as far as I went. So that's really... Um, a brief message, and it was poorly presented, I can tell you that, that uh, the Word of God is important. It is so important. 
we claim to be Christians, we claim to be believers, but we don't even know what God says to us. We don't have a clue. And we definitely don't waste our time going into the Old Testament. Oh man, you're missing so much. Oh, I hope you've heard of the road to Emmaus and what those disciples went through. Jesus started showing them how he was there. Moses talked about me. And these guys were like, what? Wait a minute. And it said their, their hearts burned within them. They were so excited. The Word of God is alive if you are a child of God. And if you will seek God, He will reward you. Isn't that what Hebrews tells us? Hmm? It says, He who comes to God must believe He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. There is rich reward. Isaiah, I'll close on this thought. Isaiah says, nobody has seen, nobody's heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. It, it doesn't come in through your eyeball and through your logic. You're not, you, you just don't get it until you're a believer. Once you're a believer, God opens your eyes and begins to show you there's some things we need to do. There's a whole lot of things. Uh, and God has great plans for us. So thanks for your time this morning. I always enjoy digging into the Word of God. I hope there's something here that, that you can use. My ultimate purpose this morning was to encourage you to start a regular diet of the Word of God if you don't have one. We're so blessed. There's so many different podcasts, different websites, different things available to us. If I could get into the Word of God every day in isolation down in Columbia, I'm pretty sure you could figure it out here in good old America. But there's so many uh, awesome teachers out there. You know, I mean, there's so much information. I like old Dr. McGee. A lot of people are like, oh, brother, not Doc McGee. But I love Doc McGee. He's just that old Texan kind of, you know what I mean, just that old school, keeping it simple. Um, but, but find a good teacher. Get into the Word consistently. If you come to church on Sunday and this is the only meal you get, what would that look like physically? And it'd be wheeling you in here. A couple of weeks later, we wouldn't even see you. So get into the Word of God. God bless you. Have a good week.